Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. This is Tony Heil, Council Vice President in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I've talked with people from every state, from Maine to Hawaii, Alaska to Florida, all points in between, from borough council stuff like myself, all the way up to U.S. Senate, and you can go back and listen to conversations with my two senators, uh, Fetterman and Casey. Um, But you know that elections are important, not just in even years, not just in presidential years. Um, There are no off-year elections, despite what anyone has to say, and my guest here will have a lot to say about it. He is an attorney in Virginia and an analyst on Virginia politics and elections, has a lot to say about one of the most important states politically, not just for the next presidential election, but all the time. His name is Sam Shirazi, and we're going to talk about mostly Virginia. Maybe we'll talk about other things, too. We'll find out. Sam, thanks for talking today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always uh, I'm excited to talk about Virginia politics and elections. So, uh, first of all, have you always been interested and involved in politics in Virginia specifically? Yeah, so I actually grew up in LA, but I moved to Virginia at basically the perfect time. So I moved here in 2006, and that was just as Virginia was going from a red state to a purple state, and now kind of a maybe a light blue state. So it was really interesting. I, I started working, uh, just volunteering in, in 2006 on the Jim Webb campaign. Um, did a lot of volunteer work in 2008 for the Obama campaign in Charlottesville. Um, and had been on and off paying attention to Virginia politics. But uh, I got really involved in 2021 with the redistricting process. And we had a commission for the first time. So I engaged with the redistricting commission, let's just put it that way. And and then uh, as the new maps came out, I thought I could add a lot of value, analyzing them, giving people information, context. And so I've mainly been on um, Twitter or X, uh, but also have been trying to just spread the word about Virginia election politics, giving people information that I think sometimes um, is a little bit more nuanced than what you get um, maybe in the traditional media. So first of all, just like we're going to keep calling Acrisure Stadium in Pittsburgh Heinz Field. We're still going to call it Twitter. We're still going to call them tweets. Um, and, and I remember 2006, Virginia. I had friends working on uh, the campaigns then. My first campaign was in 2002 in Iowa, which is also a very important state politically or has been. Uh, and what, what do you remember, like, did you, were you aware of the changes in Virginia then when you came to Virginia? Were people, like, educating you and it was, like, a big lesson of, Oh, stuff's going on, or was it more sudden? I think there was a, a big shift uh, just around that 2008, 2006-2008 time period. I think when I first got there, everyone's saying, you know, it's a red state, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to be competitive. And then, obviously, Jim Webb winning was, was a big surprise, and um, although I think, you know, towards the end, people saw it coming. And then 2008 was the big shift, I think. Just mentally, people, once Obama won Virginia in 2008, I think people realized, okay, this is no longer the old red, red state Virginia. It's it's definitely a competitive state, and obviously over the years, uh, it's become more democratic. So uh, certainly came at the right time in terms of watching a big political transfer, transformation. And I know from following Virginia and just following politics in general, a big part of that is the educational changes in Virginia people who work in Northern Virginia for specifically, uh, maybe they work in other parts of the state too, but 
that the uh, educational changes in politics have really made a big shift. What, what do you think are the biggest reasons for the shifts in Virginia? Yeah, I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head for the, uh, for the most part with the growth of Northern Virginia and a lot of people coming from outside Virginia and, and the shift in college-educated voters. So even in 2000, 2004, um, the, the suburbs of Northern Virginia, uh, at least the outer parts of them were still Republican. The inner parts of Northern Virginia have always been pretty Democratic. But um, 2008 onward, it's just trended more and more Democratic uh, until 2020. Um, certainly in Northern Virginia, also other parts of Virginia. Um, a lot of times we don't talk about the Richmond suburbs. It's not as big as Northern Virginia, but those have also shifted a lot towards the Democrats. Um, Hampton Roads is always competitive, but um, recently has become a little bit more uh, towards the Democrats. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's part of it is people moving into Virginia from, from out, outside of the state. Part of it is the, the change in college education. And, and I think one thing that's not often not mentioned is Virginia has a sizable African-American population. They have always been the, the Democratic base, um, at least in recent years. And so I, I don't want to overlook that as well because um, that gives the Democrats a very strong um, uh, kind of floor. I don't, or another way of putting it is it gives them kind of a minimum amount of votes and then in the suburbs and other areas, they're really able to, to rack it up and and get to usually above 50% to win the elections uh, statewide. So, I again, I had friends that worked for Jim Webb. Um, I had friends uh, who were working for Mark Warner and all of his campaigns. Um, not always the same friends, same campaigns. Um, but I recall hearing stories um, back in 2004, like for, in a, for example, or early in the 2000s of how someone like Mark Warner and Tim Kaine, they, their political map was not just winning Northern Virginia by a huge percentage, but they were talking about NASCAR dads and NASCAR moms. That was, there's always like some key thing, like soccer moms are always a thing. Um, and I, now I'm, my kids are in soccer, so I guess I get it. Um, but I try, I try not to talk to the other parents about politics. Um, and so, but the strategy then was to try and appeal to these other voters that now seems like Democrats don't appeal to at all. Um, is, is there, are there efforts to appeal to those? Is it not worth the appealing to those same people who may have helped Democrats win 20, I mean, 15, 20 years ago? That's, that's a good point. Cause I think, uh, we overlook that particularly with Mark Warner when he won the governor's race in 2001, there was a, there's a famous video and every once in a while someone posts it uh, where it was basically a bluegrass song calling him the hero of the hills. And it's true. He did really well in Southwest Virginia uh, for a Democrat. And obviously that has not been the case in recent years for Democrats. My sense is there has, there has been an attempt to really, um, make efforts. There are organizations uh, in Virginia that are attempting to kind of work on um, rural issues and and try to bump up some of the numbers for Democrats in rural areas. Because I agree with you, it's it's easy to just say, all right, we'll run up the numbers in the suburbs and we'll win. I think 2021 was a little bit of a wake-up call that maybe Virginia is not as blue as everyone thinks it is, at least at the state level. And Rural margins also matter because um, poor relief fell out in some of these counties. And, and um, I think 
as someone in uh, Pennsylvania showed us in, t- in 2022, both John Fetterman and Josh Shapiro, Democrats can make a little bit of a comeback in some of these counties. You know, it's not always you're not always going to be destroyed in every single rural county. So I think it's important that Democrats uh, make the effort in rural Virginia. And I also think um, the other thing, as I mentioned, we, we, we sometimes think of rural Virginia, rural America as super white. Um, but there are sizable amounts of African-American voters in parts of rural Virginia. And I think uh, Democrats uh, shouldn't forget those voters uh, either. And, and, and so um, as much as, you know, the suburbs are really carrying uh, Democrats in Virginia, particularly in close elections, it's important to also you know, make sure that we, we don't forget about rural voters and, and bring out Democrats in those parts of Virginia as well. You know, um, it's not just 2021 that kind of showed that Virginia is not a guaranteed blue state, right? Like, I remember 2014 when Republicans did well um, in the Senate, and the first harbinger of that was Mark Warner having a really tough election that was surprising to people because I don't think it was much contested. I don't recall all the details, but I think that was a surprise to people. And then obviously Bob McConnell, McConnell or whatever, um, back in 2009. Um, and do you think that people kind of take some of these um, backlash elections for granted, whether it's towards Dems or Republicans, without kind of following up maybe? Because we've seen backlash elections against both parties, and then people kind of assume that that's the new standard. Yeah, I think it's good for both parties to not take anything for granted and to never assume that they're owed election victories. Um, you know, during the Trump era, Virginia really turned against the Republicans for a variety of reasons and made Virginia seem like basically a blue state or light blue state. And, and I still think it leans towards the Democrats. Um, but you know, this is not the same as our neighbors to North Maryland, which is just so much blue, more blue than Virginia. I, I think um, right circumstances, right candidates, uh, Republicans um, can certainly uh, do well. And, and you know, I, I don't this year we have state elections and, and it's there's no foregone conclusion that Democrats are going to win those. And so I think it's important for um, Virginia Democrats to, to you know, always be on their guard and, and never assume that, that Virginia is going to go their way just because Northern Virginia has become so blue because it's a very diverse state, a lot of different parts of it. And, um, yeah, so I, I mean, I agree with you. I think, I think it's, it's hard to just look at one election and assume that's what's going to happen next time. Each election is its own thing and you gotta, you gotta work every time. Otherwise, um, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And, uh, that's what happened in 2021. And, and as you mentioned, 2014, I think, People were surprised how close it was, um, even though uh, Mark Warner was able to pull it out. So I've seen also in you, you see the news stories in I think uh, Michigan, maybe Colorado, where the Democrats have done so well that the state Republican Party is falling apart. To me, as a Democrat, that is awesome news. So they don't want them to. I, I want them to do poorly because I don't want their candidates to win, and not because. And I don't treat it like a sport. I mean, people talk about politics like a sport. You're an analyst. Um, but like if the Steelers lose an election, cause I'm a Steeler, I mean, st- lose a Super Bowl, I don't care. Like it's sad. I wanted my team to win, but if the other party wins an election, then rights are taken away in my mind. Um, so I recall a lot of these changes here, um, in, in terms of the analysis and, uh, the parties, um, but it's been changing 
And those parties, like I said, in those other states are falling apart. I want them to do worse. But do you think that the competitiveness of Virginia going both ways kind of helps both parties to not fall apart? Yeah, I, I think that that's an interesting point because during, the, as I mentioned, Trump era, the bottom kind of fell out for the Virginia GOP. And I think they went through some rough years where they were just losing and they didn't put up great candidates and it was just not a good time for the Virginia GOP. Um, but, you know, parties of all parties goal is to win. And I know some state parties are imploding, um, but I think the Virginia GOP and given what Glenn Youngkin was able to do and, and bring a little bit of a different image to the party and, and they've tried to keep going with that trajectory, although, the, you know, obviously that it, it's not necessarily guaranteed that that's going to work again. Um, I, I think they have evolved. They've, they've positioned themselves in a different way. Uh, the Virginia GOP has as, as opposed to, to, you know, in the Trump era, but obviously Trump is coming back and we'll see what happens as, um, you know, there's a little bit of a, a tension there between maybe Glenn Youngkin's vision of the GOP and Donald Trump's vision of the GOP. And there's, um, some of some of the factions internally are, are, you know, fighting it out, and we'll see who, who's able to pull it out. I'd say for this year, uh, it's still Glenn Youngkin's Virginia GOP, and he's trying to project his image and basically run as a as if as if it's a referendum on him. And we'll see if that works. Maybe if it doesn't work uh, next year, the Virginia GOP will, will turn towards Trump because uh, if he becomes the nominee. So all these things are, uh, you know, all that's to say is like parties are constantly evolving. They get better, they get worse, and you just have to kind of keep an eye on it and see see where things are going. Here in Pennsylvania, you know, we, you you can see that it's very hard for the Republicans to nominate middle of the road, slightly right of center candidates. Uh, there's one, if you want to say, moderate Republican in, in con congressional delegation, um, and there's no chance that he would have be able to become a statewide candidate for anything. Uh, and, you know, obviously when Mastriano announced he was running, anyone who followed, who was a objective follower of Pennsylvania uh, politics knew he was going to be the nominee. They knew he was going to be the nominee on January 6, 2021. It was just obvious, uh, unfortunately. So that's because of the base here with the Republican Party. The, I know in, in the uh, Philadelphia suburbs, many Republicans who switch parties, either to Democrat or Independent, they can't stomach it anymore. Is that not the issue in Virginia? Do you think that they have a better chance because of their system of nominating candidates or who are in the party that they're not going to fall in the same trap that maybe we have, the Republicans have here in Pennsylvania? I think it's a factor of the, the party learning from all its losses, the Virginia GOP. So they basically lost 10 years of elections in a row. And um, particularly in 2018, so against Tim Kaine, they nominated a guy named Corey Stewart, who was basically like Virginia's Mastriano, you know, really MAGA type guy. And he got blown out by Tim Kaine. Obviously, it was a pro-democratic year, but even considering that, he really got blown out. And I think um, 2020, with Trump at the top of the ticket, Virginia GOP got blown out again. And I think so. There, there was some self-reflection, both, I would say, more so among the party elites, but probably a little bit on the, the grassroots level. And, and they were able to, they realized, I think they needed someone like Glenn Youngkin in 2021. Like, they couldn't nominate, um, so... So, so um, there's a state senator who just lost her primary. Her name was Amanda Chase. Uh, I think in a 
normal primary, she might have had a very strong chance of becoming the nominee. But as you mentioned, because it was a convention, she didn't get the nomination. And I think they knew they couldn't nominate someone like like her to win. And, and for whatever reason, maybe the Pennsylvania GOP doesn't have that level of self-awareness. I think my, my, guess, my guess is if they keep losing election after election, at some point they'll get the message. And I think that's basically what happened to the Virginia GOP. They just kept losing elections until they realized, you know, they have to clean up their act a little bit. Well, I know one of the lessons that our state Republicans have learned is that they should fear their base. You know, I I know some of the Republicans. I've met them. And even if I disagree with their politics, I like them on a personal level. Um, And I know many of them who were protested, threatened by Republican activists about overturning the election, that they were... You know, one was quoted in the New York Times that she was afraid someone was going to throw a Molotov cocktail through a window. Um, another one, the protester just got um, arrested or arraigned. And those were with Republicans who did sign the letters saying to overturn it. Like, they didn't, they weren't like the people who stood up against Trump. They were like, no, if we had let, they let them get their way, it would have been really bad. Um, do you think that it's different in Virginia? Maybe because Trump didn't make Virginia a big deal about trying to overturn the election? Maybe, you know, you guys were able to skate along to safety a little bit versus what they can do here and not be as threatened? Yeah, that's an interesting point about maybe Virginia not being um, as much of um, the focus of a lot of the 2020 stuff related to the election. Um, I, It's hard to tell. I I think this year's election will will be very illuminating because for better or worse, Glenn Youngkin was able to kind of take over the Virginia GOP because he won in 2021. He basically said, nominate me, I'll, I'll have a different image and we'll win. And, you know, he was able to do that. And so I think he's been given a lot of leeway um, and been able to shape the party in his image. The question becomes, because now he's making this election this year a referendum on him. And if, if, if he wins again, you know, good for him. He'll, he'll, he'll be more firmly in control of the Virginia GOP. I think the question becomes, if he loses, then there's going to be this kind of identity crisis moment. You know, we moderated too much or, you know, who, who are we really? Um, and so it's a little bit of an open question. I think after the election in November, we'll probably have a little bit of a clearer picture um, because I think, I think he has that one win and, and he's been writing that um, for almost two years. And so his midterm in Virginia is coming up in November. And, and I think that'll be the deciding moment to see which way um, both Virginia and the Virginia GOP go. So the the picture of November for Virginia is unclear, but where do you, where do you think the picture stands now? There are so many great Democrats who won in 2017, 2019, people who made a national name for themselves, even before that when it was trending. And you saw some people, obviously, like Danica Rome, who became famous um, and was really pushing for, I, I think, kind of the Democratic um, model of, yes, I am a uh, breakthrough candidate for other outside of political reasons, but I want to make government work seem to be the Demo- the message that I heard from Danica. Um, do you think, uh, what, what, where does the picture look right now? So I think people don't realize how important this election in Virginia is this year, because either they're thinking about the 2024 election or, you know, it's an off year, but 
this election will really determine whether Virginia at a state level becomes a red state, maybe not quite as close to Florida, but maybe something like North Carolina, or does it still stay in that um, slightly blue area? And um, it's hard for me to know exactly what's going to happen because of the turnout is so unpredictable because it's an off-off year election. Um, so you mentioned Danica Rome. She's running for state Senate. Um, you know, I, I think she's in a pretty, um, I would say, uh, Democratic-leading seat. So I would say she's favored. But there's a lot of toss-up seats. Um, well, I don't want to say a lot. But there's a few cru- crucial toss-up seats that it's so hard to predict who's going to win. And so I, I don't know. It, it could, we could see everything from the Democrats winning both the state Senate and the House of Delegates because every single seat in the in the legislature is up for election. Or we could see the Republicans winning both the state Senate and the House of Delegates. And Glenn Youngkin is really betting on the state Senate and House delegates flipping red because that means he can pass whatever he wants. He can pass an abortion ban. He can pass voting rights restrictions. He can basically make Virginia, you know, a red state. And um, I'm hoping that uh, people start to realize the stakes, uh, and especially uh, Democrats um, understand that this isn't just some random election in, in a random year. Uh, with the overturning of Roe, like this is really an election that will decide a lot. And, uh, uh, you know, I wish I knew who was going to win, but it's just one of those things. I don't know who's going to show up on these off-off-year elections. It's not like there's even a um, governor's race. There's the, the highest seat that's going to be elected is the state Senate in each district. And that's and it's hard to know who's going to turn up for those types of elections. Well, we've seen uh, since last year, including this summer, special elections where the turnout for Democrats um, or against Republicans was very strong uh, ever since the overturning of Roe uh, in, from the Supreme Court. And it seems like I just talked with my well, a, a professor from my college, Marist College, Tommy Zarellin, who is running in New York, Pat Ryan's district, um, where he ran in a very purple, more red district, and he won running on choice. He did not shy away from it after the, after the Supreme Court decision. Uh, do you... Do you think that bodes well what you're seeing in like Wisconsin when you're seeing it almost in every state to some level um, where you know the democratic base or it is coming out or at least that there are upset Republicans who may be coming out but they're not going to vote for the Republican candidates anymore? I think you raise an interesting idea because um, we're all assuming it's going to be super competitive. In November, I think there is a possibility that there could be this little mini blue wave in Virginia, mainly fueled by the abortion issue. And you know, there's a few factors involved. So, in in these off-year elections, typically you see more college-educated voters turning out, and those voters have become more democratic and they care about the abortion issue, particularly women. Um, and as you mentioned, some maybe more Republican-leaning women, or at least independent women in the past might have voted for Republicans, but will be more open for voting for the Democrats this year because of the choice issue. I think that the hesitation among Virginia Democrats is prior to Trump, these off-off-year elections were pretty brutal for Democrats because just no one would turn up. Um, If you looked at the 2015 election, for example, uh, I think the Democrats out of 100 seats in the legislature got about a third of them in the House of Delegates. So, 
we're talking about like it wasn't even competitive. The Republicans were winning like two thirds of the seats because it was just an off off year election and young people weren't showing up and, and a lot of these factors. Um, and this is the first of these off off year elections post Trump. So we had one in 2019, Democrats won, we had Trump in the White House. Um, the question becomes, are they going to turn out either because of Trump? I, I don't think Trump is going to be a big factor. I think it's really going to be the abortion issue driving Democrats to come out. And um, we'll see. I mean, Youngkin has a lot of money. He's, he's putting it into the races. He wants a big win. So I don't think you can discount the Republicans' chances. But I, I mean, I tend to agree with you. If, if all else being equal, I think Democrats will probably win. It's just, for whatever reason, is there some quirk that happens? Youngkin has money or just Democrats don't show up for whatever reason, can the, can the Republicans pull off a win? And that goes well, back to really the beginning of this discussion with Mark Warner, right? Because his coalition was, not that it wasn't important in Northern Virginia, but it was less distressed on that, and it was more diverse in the state. So he, had, he was able to do better in the margins of Southwest Virginia. But aren't those voters maybe less engaged in some way? So some of the voters that he depended on for a victory, the less engaged voters that now... The voter, the Democrats have made a um, a bargain that they're going to have these kind of voters, and yeah, maybe it costs them actual votes or persuasion in parts that they used to get, but it's going to get them more of a turnout that they can depend on, and so the seats will remain competitive at the very least. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the big advantages Democrats are going to have have this November is most of the toss up seats are in the suburbs pretty college-educated areas. And so you would think, okay, the Democrats are going to win those types of seats, and if they win enough of them, they can get to like a pretty small majority. Um, the question becomes, in some of these other areas, if they want a bigger majority or if for whatever reason they don't do as well as, as they thought in the suburbs, um, what happens in some of these other seats? So, for example, there's a really competitive House of Delegates seat in um, uh, kind of – Central Virginia, Southside Virginia, uh, that's very high African-American population. And that's the Democratic base. And mm -hmm. so uh, if, the, if, the, if those voters show up, Democrats will win. If they don't show up, Democrats aren't going to win. And, and so, I, I mean, I hope it's not just the suburbs voting, because if that's the case, maybe Democrats will win. Maybe they'll get a bare majority, but it would be better if um, more, more parts of Virginia show up and... Um, you know, as as you say, and there's no way of predicting it, but but those are some of the things I'm going to be looking at. Um, and and if 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 the suburbs do show up, I think Democrats will win, but it, they'll get a bigger majority if they're able to get um, other parts of Virginia out as well. All right, that brings me to one last question about this: is that with that bargain that Democrats have made, whether it's intentional or not, you're talking about Democrats becoming competitive and winning in the more suburban affluent areas, college educated areas, which are more expensive to run in. You know, the here in Pennsylvania, the the there we used to have a lot of pretty moderate Republicans in office, whether in Congress or in the state legislature. I may have disagreed with them, but I wouldn't have hated them or like been afraid of them being in office, right? But it also costs millions of dollars. Even a state legislative race has cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, what do you think that impact has on the party, good or bad, on both parties, I guess, but specifically on Democrats, that they've made this bargain that will mean that they have to win much more expensive potential uh, races? Yeah, this is already shaping up to be the most expensive race in Virginia history. 
a lot of time being spent on fundraising. Uh, and it's tough because Virginia doesn't have any limits on campaign contributions. And Glenn Youngkin is getting a lot of money from out-of-state billionaires because for whatever reason, they, they want him to succeed. They might think he could run against Trump, uh, a late entry into the race. And the Democrats are having to catch up to that and raise a lot of money. And as you mentioned, some of these districts, so there's a very competitive race in Loudoun, which is Northern Virginia media market, uh, DC media market, very expensive. Uh, the Republican candidate has a lot of money and the Democrats have a very solid candidate and her name's Russell Perry. She was a former CIA officer very impressive resume, but she's at a money disadvantage, and I, I think she's doing her best to catch up. And 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 those are some of the the things that, um, as you mentioned, maybe maybe is the trade off. You, you can't run in a seat like Loudon without a lot of money, and and it's just the reality. So, um, you know, we'll have to see how it all shakes out. I I tend to think that um, some of these long term trends. I, I, I guess some people have frustrations over them or they say, oh, well, why are the Democrats not doing well in rural Virginia? Why can't they do better? And, and it's certainly something that you can work on on the margins, but these are long-term trends. It's hard to control and you're just kind of, you have to deal with the hand you're dealt and you have to compete in the seats that are competitive. Um, otherwise, you know, it, there's not a lot else you can do. So for better or worse, that's kind of the reality we're, we're facing in Virginia. All right. So last question, because you are someone who is um, an analyst of politics. You follow politics and history, I assume. Um, are you Have you been reading any books? Are there any book recommend, recommendations you'd like to make? I'm oh, finally over halfway through the 900-page Huey Long biography by T. Harry Williams. It's taken me all summer. Um, but are there any things you're reading right now that we can recommend? Man, that's a good question. Uh I unfortunately don't have a lot of time to read because I have two kids and, and they don't. So do I, but I'm doing it. Come on. All right. Well, maybe maybe I should uh, uh, catch up uh, to your to your reading. So I live in Virginia. Obviously, I live in Virginia. I'm really into Civil War. So um, anything Civil War is is great to read. Uh, I don't know if any of your previous re uh, uh, guests have recommended this. I'm sure maybe someone has, but Grant by Chernow is really one of the best um, political, military, historical autobiographies, uh, not autobiographies, biographies, obviously Grant didn't write it. Um, and uh, it, it just really explains a lot about what happened in that time period, but also lessons for today. So anyways, I, I know that's probably a pretty obvious answer. A lot of people... It's not an obvious answer. If it was, I would have just said you're recommending Grant by Turner. I, I know the book. I think I've read passages, and I do really appreciate Grant because he's a very interesting character beyond just being a smart tactical mind. I think it's under, he's very underrated. There was another book about him I read many years ago. Um, and so I, I will try to read that when I get a chance. Yeah. I mean, it's a very dense book. It's very long, uh, has a lot of good historical facts, but it can take a while to read, but it's a big payoff type book because um, it, it doesn't just cover the civil war. It covers reconstruction, his presidency, talks mm -hmm. about racial issues. So, lot of American history in one book. Great. Well, I recommend that. I recommend anyone you should read if you can. And if you're really listening, I'm sure you agree with me, Sam, maybe if you're competitive or not, you should run for office, right? Yeah. You never know what the future holds. I don't think uh, anytime soon, but, uh, yeah. you can just recommend that other people do it. You don't have to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, definitely. I, 
one thing I will say, I, I, you know, we need good people to run for office at all level for both parties. And, and so the more good people are running and, and the better. So I wholeheartedly agree with you that um, we should get more people running. And, you know, before we finish here, I imagine that even though this is the most competitive and expensive election in Virginia, there are still a lot of um, uncontested seats uh, for elections at various levels in Virginia this year, right? That, hey, some other people running, maybe it doesn't flip that seat, but it shifts some dollars or people away, right? Yeah, no, so both sides have seats that, that are being uh, not, there's no candidates uh, from from one of the parties on the ballot. So it's um, it, it's always good to have contested elections just for the sake of our democracy. So I, I agree with you, um, even if realistically you're probably not going to win, it's there's no shame throwing your hat in the ring and, and raising some issues and, and forcing the other side to debate you and take you seriously. Yeah, if you had more people running in those uh, quote-unquote uncompetitive seats, they might be competitive next time. You never know. Virginia wasn't competitive, and then one day it was. So yeah, thank you, Sam, for helping to explain Virginia, why it is competitive, and maybe if you're listening, you find some seat you're interested in, or we just want to be involved in Virginia, you should run or support the best candidates possible. Thanks so much, Sam, and uh, best of luck to you.